When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. And you're on right now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. Coming to you from the shores of the Indian River on Florida's beautiful Treasure Coast. And bringing you the news behind the news, the story behind the story. Here to convince you that reality is usually scoffed at and illusion is usually king. We're streaming live on iHeartRadio and available on demand on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast directories. You can follow me on Twitter at right now, Jim Dawes. Shoot me an email at right now, Jim Dawes at gmail.com or call the vent line and get something off your chest at 772 245 0750. That's 772 245 So I'm out driving this morning, running some errands, getting this rental house ready. And I see a, a lady uh, running on the sidewalk along the highway there. And uh, I'm thinking, well, that's great. She's out getting some exercise, fresh air and sunshine. And as I get closer, I see she's wearing a mask. Now, there's nobody within a half mile of this woman. And I thought, that's odd. I didn't know we had that many Democrat voters here in, uh, in this area. But uh, what are these people thinking? I, it wasn't long before I ran across somebody riding a bike, and they too were wearing a mask. Nobody around, nobody within sight. And, um, you know, they're, they're rebreathing all this carbon monoxide or carbon dioxide uh, because, you know, they've got their mouth covered and they aren't uh, able to breathe easily. And I guess people are just so freaked out from watching this over-the-top coverage on TV that uh, they don't know what to think. Maybe the virus is floating in the air a half mile from anyone. I regularly see people riding in their cars by themselves with masks on. Uh, you know, you worry about um, the the average intelligence or the the I guess the low information voters that are out there. Well, speaking of low intelligence, uh, the uh, the judge in the Michael Flynn case, Emmett Sullivan, of course, has asked um, is has opened up the Michael Flynn case for um, friend of the court briefs, so-called amicus briefs from all of the hashtag resistance um, operators so that he can, uh, you know, get his best arguments together to drag Michael Flynn uh, into the next election with the hope that, uh, that a Democrat will be elected and they can restart the persecution of Michael Flynn Yesterday, Sidney Powell filed, filed a uh, mandamus writ with the district court in Washington, D.C., uh, demanding that uh, Powell or that um, Emmett Sullivan go ahead and 
dismissed this case as the Department of Justice has requested. Yes, he has pled guilty, but until the judge issues a sentence, this, this case has not been adjudicated, and, and Emmett Sullivan has no business at all proceeding with this prosecution on his own uh, initiative. A judge's job is not to um, take defendants and make sure they're prosecuted. A judge's job is to protect defendants and make sure their rights are protected while the state tries to prove their case against them. And, and the state, in Michael, uh, in, um, Michael Flynn's case, has admitted that this was an entrapment. It was trying to get Michael Flynn on process crimes when they found out that they didn't have any case otherwise. And so Sidney Powell has filed this motion for mandamus, uh, instructing Powell to, (laughs) I'm tongue-tied this morning, instructing uh, Emmett Sullivan to dismiss the case. And um, and in the the absence of that and the alternative, to recuse himself because of, um, you know, in, in one of his first hearings before Emmett Sullivan, Emmett Sullivan charged Michael Flynn with treason. Now you got a judge sitting on the bench making charges of treason against a defendant when the state, the department of justice wasn't even making that claim. So he's obviously brought a bias into this case. He's asked for these friend of the court briefs when, uh, when he denied that earlier, when Powell wanted to uh, have friend of the court briefs submitted on his behalf. But now he wants them uh, when it can hurt Flynn. Sidney Powell was on with uh, Sean Hannity, I think it was last night, and uh, described her legal strategy moving forward. Demanding that the Flynn case be reopened just the day before January 4th, 2020, after its investigation. Obama, that guy. I, I'm sorry for this. Uh, I can't listen to. Um, well, this is not the correct clip. I apologize. I didn't uh, I didn't do my due diligence on my show prep this morning because I was so busy. But uh, here is uh, Bill Barr himself commenting on the Department of Justice motion to uh, dismiss these charges against Michael Flynn. They had started a counterintelligence investigation during the summer, as you know, related to the campaign. Uh, but in December, the team, the Crossfire Hurricane team, was closing that and determined they had found nothing to justify continuing with that investigation against Flynn. On the very day they prepared the final papers, the seventh floor, that is the director's office and the deputy director's office up there, sent down word they should keep that open uh, so that they could try to go and question Flynn about this call he had with the Russian ambassador. Let me say that at that point, he was the designated national security advisor for President-elect Trump and was part of the transition, which is recognized by the government and funded by the government as an important function to bring in a new administration. And it is very typical and very common uh, for the national security team of the incoming president to communicate with foreign leaders and that call there was no- it's not only common it's doing his job but here's the the key part of this i keep wanting to see the transcript of this uh conversation with kislyak that has still not been released but i trust bill barr when he describes that conversation thusly 
And that call, there was nothing wrong with it, whatever. In fact, it was laudable. He, and it was nothing inconsistent with the Obama administration's policies. And it was in U.S. interest. He was saying to the Russians, you know, don't escalate. Mm-hmm. And they asked him if he remembered saying that. And he said he didn't remember that. So if you don't remember something when they're out to get you, they will, uh, they will prosecute you for lying because apparently they're mind readers at the FBI. Matt Getz had a, uh, an excellent hot take on this whole situation. It's, uh, it's kind of a long clip here. It's uh, about three minutes, but uh, you need to hear it. Back and just get some context for why Michael Flynn is even in this mess in the first place. So the Obama administration is going out. The Trump administration is coming in. And if you remember, the Obama administration was really trying to do everything possible to provoke Russia at this time. And I think one reason is that Donald Trump's election was a total shock to the political system that the media, the Democrats, and even some Republicans like couldn't accept that Donald Trump won the election, so it had to be Russia. It, Russia had to be the reason that everybody got this so wrong, that you know, the media got it wrong. The political industrial complex got it wrong. So this is obviously creating great strain on the relationship. Flynn has been selected to be the incoming national security advisor. And so he has a discussion with the Russian ambassador to essentially preserve the status quo, not to allow the outgoing administration to create an escalation that would then limit the options that President Trump and his team would have. You know, if you recall at that time, North Korea is a situation where we need Russia's help. Syria is a situation where we have to de-conflict with Russia. Uh, With what's going on on the border with Turkey, there was Russian involvement and a need to have at least productive dialogue. And Flynn didn't want to see that eroded, so he has this discussion. Now, the Obama administration knew that Flynn had this discussion. Jim Comey's FBI was aware of it. And what the notes that we've only seen disclosed during COVID reveal to us is that those FBI agents went over there not to investigate Flynn for being a traitor to our country, but to try to catch him in a gotcha moment, to try to create circumstances that would require his resignation or his departure from the administration. Let me just stop there and say they actually uh, said that in that memo from Priestep, that uh, what is our goal to get him fired? When did it become part of the FBI's job to get people fired. That is not a legitimate function of the FBI, and it shows quite starkly the wrongdoing that went on there. The the mainstream media, they just can't understand. They can't wrap their mind around what is the problem here? What? Let's move on. Let's not talk about that. Donald Trump's trying to deflect and distract. Back to this clip from Michael, uh, from Matt Getz Because he was somebody that Obama didn't like, and we know that Obama was personally involved in that because Obama said so to Trump, that he didn't want to see Flynn carry to the next administration. Uh, And so we know Obama was involved, involved to the point of even having a discussion with Trump about it. And uh, and and that really raises, uh, you know, raises the question, uh, how involved was Biden? You know, you see Biden in in the unmasking documents and we'll get that to to a moment. But it really creates a creates a a heck of a circumstance uh, for Biden. So Flynn has this discussion. He gets set up. They then threaten his son with prosecution. Flynn takes a plea. 
He then gets Sidney Powell as his attorney, and she has just done a fantastic job laying out the case, uh, getting the research. Uh, and she blows the whole thing open. She exposes this as uh, an insincere prosecution, insincere. as a valid plea deal. And Bill Barr's Department of Justice rightly decides that they want to drop the case. So you've got the government wanting to drop the Flynn case, and obviously Flynn would like to see the matter resolved. But the judge is now, has now appointed retired federal Judge Gleason to come in and argue positions submitted by, I, I guess, anyone who wants to come in and, uh, and trash Michael Flynn. The hashtag this resistance. is not how we administer criminal law in this country. You don't just crowdsource a prosecution of someone because your politics don't align with the fact that they were innocent all along. And Judge Emmett Sullivan has also acted bizarrely toward Flynn, uh, calling him a traitor to the country. Uh, and and frankly, I think that uh, that this is something that would not withstand appellate review if it yielded anything other than a total and complete dismissal of. Money. Well, it obviously won't stand an appellate review, and Emmett Sullivan's quite, uh, uh, you know, clear on that. He understands what he's doing is wrong. But he thinks that if he drags us out long enough that uh, maybe another Democrat will get there and that they can continue to persecute Michael Flynn. He wouldn't mind being overturned. A lot of these uh, these hashtag resistance judges are regularly overturned. That's not their function or that's not their motivation to mete out justice. Their motivation is to harass this administration as much as possible. And each passing day, we know more and more about uh, this thing being run out of the White House, the illegal surveillance. I wish they'd stop using this term unmasking as if it's some um, legitimate function of the federal government for the uh, politicians to spy on their political opponents. It's not unmasking. It's political surveillance, plain and simple, not just passive surveillance, but actually active surveillance sending undercover operatives into the campaign to spy and try to um, frame the opposing party. It's being led by Barack Obama, of course. The reality of Barack Obama has been studiously ignored by the media um, since he came on the scene. We're going to talk more about the real origins and motivations of Barack Obama right after this message, but I want to remind you to go over to Mojo, prepare with Mojo 5.0. That's prepare with Mojo 5.0. That'll take you to My Patriot Supply. My Patriot, um, yeah, My Patriot Supply. And uh, you can get your four week emergency food supply. For $197, it's normally $297, so you'll same, save $100, and you'll get free same-day shipping. It's uh, got a 25-year shelf life with 12 varieties, 2,000 calories, 284 servings of breakfast, lunch, dinners, and drinks, and you'll save $100 today and get free shipping when you go to preparewithmojo50.com. So, you know... Uh, the reality of Barack Obama is so transparent and so obvious, unless you're in denial, that this is what I'm talking about when reality is usually scoffed at and illusion is usually king. Barack Obama is a Manchurian candidate. 
He was raised by a communist organizer from Chicago, or I should, should say he was fathered by a communist organizer from Chicago who had moved to Hawaii, Frank Marshall Davis. Chicago is a hotbed of communism. It is home to the Communist Party USA. And if you look at side-by-side uh, -side photographs, it's quite clear that Barack Obama is not the son of the Kenyan sheep herder. He's, he's the son of Frank Marshall Davis, the communist organizer from Chicago, who has photographs of Obama's wife or, or Obama's mother converting a nude on his, his couch there in Hawaii. Everybody can look at the physical evidence and it is obvious, but it's going on uh, 15 years now that the mainstream media has pretended that this wasn't the case. This whole birther movement that uh, became a big subject of controversy, the birther movement was in fact birthed by Barack Obama himself. I think as a sort of a red herring or a distraction to throw people off the scent, um, you know, in, in his early publications, uh, the foreword said that he was, uh, you know, born in Kenya. Those were books that uh, Barack Obama himself published. I think it was, uh, you know, a pur purposeful uh, fake, head fake, to, uh, you know, send the uh, conversation down a rabbit hole when it's quite obvious that Dreams of My Father, the uh, Barack Obama autobiography, was talking about Frank Marshall Davis, not Barack Obama Sr., So the uh, yesterday the Susan Rice memo uh, of that January fifth fifth uh, meeting in the White House, where they were discussing their efforts to try to frame Michael Flynn, has now been declassified by Richard Grinnell, the acting director of national intelligence, and they released it yesterday, and it is a bombshell. It basically shows that uh, two weeks after this meeting, on the day of the inauguration. Susan Rice wrote a memo to herself, an email to herself, trying to cast um, this whole thing as, uh, you know, being by the book. She says it twice in her memo that uh, this needs to be run by the book. Barack Obama insisted that it be run by the book. And James Comey assured him that it was. How many times do you write emails to yourself uh, saying that uh, things were done by the book. What this email is evidence of is a consciousness of guilt in an effort to try to cover it up. The new, newly declassified section of the memo says, quote, Director Comey affirmed that he is proceeding, uh, quote, by the book as it relates to law enforcement. Well, this wasn't a law enforcement situation. This was a counterintelligence investigation. So it wasn't a law enforcement function to begin with. From a national security perspective, Susan Rice writes, Comey said he does, does have some concerns that the incoming national security advisor, Flynn, is speaking frequently with the Russian ambassador, Kislyak. Well, yeah. 
That's what incoming national security advisors do. Comey said that it could be an issue as it relates to sharing sensitive information. President Obama asked if Comey was saying that the NSC should not pass sensitive information related to Russia to Flynn. We need to, we need to make sure that he doesn't uh, learn any of the information that we've ginned up in the Steele dossier is, uh, is the subtext there. Comey replied, potentially, that's what Comey does. He, he tries not to take a stand on anything. He added that he has no indication thus far that Flynn has passed classified information to Kislyak, but he noted that the level of communication was unusual. You know what's the, the real mystery around all of this is we're now learning that the, uh, the conversation that Michael Flynn had with Kislyak, it was in um, around Christmas time in December of 2016. That wasn't one of the conversations that they have apparently unmasked. So how do they know what happened, what Michael Flynn was saying to the Russian ambassador, if uh, there's no record of anybody having unmasked that? So there's three possibilities. One, they pass this information on to people in the administration without going through the proper procedures of unmasking the surveillance. Two, they destroyed the records of who it was, in fact, that eavesdropped on that conversation in the government. Or three, Barack Obama was just instructing John Brennan over at the CIA to, uh, to, to spy and uh, surveil Michael Flynn and possibly other members of the administration we're now learning that um, many of these unmaskings were done on Donald Trump's family. His three eldest children, Ivanka, Eric, and Don Jr., were all part of this political surveillance that they euphemistically refer to as unmasking. Here is Ron Johnson on with uh, Martha McCallum asking the obvious question if if the Obama administration believed that Michael Flynn was actually a uh, a spy for the Russian government, why was there never no um, defensive briefings? You make a great point because it's worth noting that this original Susan Rice email is stamped top secret. And, you know, when everybody looks at the contents of that email tonight, you might wonder why that would be classified as top secret. The other thing that they want to hide it is if in that moment they have genuine concerns based on what has happened on these phone calls with Kislyak, they don't. You know, the, the biggest responsibility is to run the country responsibly and to make that transition of power. So if that were the case, that they were genuinely concerned that there was some compromise or something going on that was nefarious on those phone calls, why would they have not told the incoming president of the United States? Because there's a corrupt transition process. No, that's exactly what they should have done. You know, the, the uh, FBI defensively briefed Senator Feinstein when they found out that she had a potential Chinese agent in her office. It wasn't a potential Chinese agent. He's been confirmed. He was a Chinese spy that was working for Senator Dianne Feinstein, who sits on the Senate Intelligence Committee for 20 years. They didn't uh, launch an investigation to find out if Senator Feinstein was complicit in that. No, they went and told her that she had a spy on her staff. 
They went to her quietly and said, you have a potential problem, you should take care of it. That's what yeah, the that's FBI right. should have been doing throughout the, throughout the campaign and transition if they had any concerns. And President Trump could have uh, addressed those concerns at that point in time. This didn't have to happen. Right. Again, it begs the question, so, what were they up to? I know what they were up to. It's quite clear. They were trying to continue the smear that Hillary Clinton had taken up during the campaign that Donald Trump was somehow colluding with Russia. And she paid a foreign spy to tap into Russian intelligence agents that provided disinformation on Donald Trump. And I think the intention was to prosecute Donald Trump after he lost the election. Remember, all of these people that conducted this misconduct all believed that Donald Trump was going to lose and that they would be working for Hillary Clinton and continuing their their illegal surveillance activities and that they were going to put Donald Trump in jail. That was going to be Hillary Clinton's revenge for the lock her up chance at the, at the Trump rallies and for his uh, saying during that uh, famous debate when she said it's a good thing that Donald Trump's not in charge of the Department of Justice and he, he turned to her and said, yeah, because you would be in jail got to run out to a break when we come back we're going to take a look at the audio that has now been released of joe biden talking to the ukrainian president and getting the prosecutor fired that was looking at his son right after these messages on right now with jim dawes on the mojo 50 radio network stick with us whether you host a nightly dinner party for two or five Keeping your eating and dining area clean helps keep your mind on the dinner party and not on the cleanup afterwards. Viva paper towels clean like cloth, trapping splatters and sauces that could become countertop stains or stuck on messes. And they're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. For an exceptional cloth-like paper towel, there's Viva. Visit vivatowels.com to soak up the clean feeling of home. If you have thyroid eye disease... And itchy eyes have you itching for a fight. It might be time to discover another treatment option. To learn more, visit TreatMyTed.com. That's TreatMyTed.com. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an America First perspective. You know, if the Democrats didn't have double standards, they wouldn't have any standards at all. Before we leave this uh, this issue of Susan Rice and this declassified memo, I want to remind you that uh, what she said right after the election when she was appearing on PBS with uh, Susan Woodruff, during the transition after uh, uh, President Trump uh, had been elected, that he and the people around him may have been caught up in surveillance of foreign individuals and that their identities may have been disclosed. Do you know anything about this? I know nothing about this. I know nothing about this, she says. Well, now we know that she knew everything about this. She was in the meeting where the scheme was hatched. So I'm not surprised she lied about it, but she most definitely did lie about it. And, uh, and she's going to have to be questioned. I, uh, the, 
she was part of the cover-up. If you want to charge somebody with obstruction of justice, Susan Rice is a prime candidate for that. Entities may have been disclosed. Do you know anything about this? I know nothing about this. I know nothing about this, she says. Tom Fenton at uh, Justice Watch is, uh, is calling all of this, calling BS on all of this. Obama knew, Biden knew, Yates was there, Brennan was there, Susan Rice was there. The fact that Durham, or frankly anyone, hasn't questioned any of these people substantially about what went on there, to me, is a miscarriage of justice thus far. It is a total miscarriage of justice, and uh, Bill Barr came out the other day and said, uh, you know, we're not going to look at Joe Biden, we're not going to look at Barack Obama, That uh, that's not... Uh, appropriate during an election season we're not going to do the same thing that the obama administration did and and donald trump stood behind him and said yeah i think laws were broken but uh, i'm going to let bill barr make the decision on these things they don't want to uh, politicize uh, law enforcement after law enforcement was politicized to go after donald trump and i i i think you know what's good for the goose is good for the gander if they want to try to frame the Trump administration and put people in jail, then they should have to answer for, for that. Here is Rand Paul commenting on this whole Flynn fiasco. It was politically motivated, and they should have to prove to us what was the national security interest. So you have the national security advisor, the new one coming in, talking to the ambassador about policy. There's no national security interest in that. Only political shenanigans because they were trying to, to gin up this whole conspiracy with Russia thing that really wasn't going anywhere. It was politically. It wasn't going anywhere because there was nothing to it. Uh, they thought that they could, uh, you know, use this uh, ginned up information from Christopher Steele using Russian intelligence disinformation to try to frame Donald Trump when he got elected. He was ready to get into office. They had to figure out a way to to cover up their wrongdoing. And so they started attacking the administration by framing Michael Flynn and issuing these leaks and getting the dossier published. And then when all of that was about to uh, be pushed aside, they were able, uh, through Jim Comey's uh, leak, to get a special prosecutor, a former director of the FBI and Jim Comey's own personal mentor appointed to cover all of this up. I told you yesterday that in the days uh, right before the Trump administ- uh, the Trump inauguration that Joe Biden jumped on a plane and flew off to the Ukraine when he was supposed to be uh, participating in the transition Instead, he he beat it on over to the Ukraine, and and you have to wonder, well, what was that all about? Why was he um, neglecting his legitimate duties in order to go over to the there to the Ukraine? And I think it's quite obvious that he was uh, he was busy trying to uh, get all of his ducks in a row for his corruption and his son's corruption in that country. Well, now. An audio tape has come forward of the Ukrainian president. Uh, Poroshenko, no, I can't remember the name of the, uh, Yanishenko, one of those uh, Ukrainian names, 
with Joe Biden talking to him, promising now that you have fired the prosecutor that was investigating my son, I'm ready to deliver on this $1 billion loan guarantee from the United States. Um, uh, there is a new government and a, uh, a new prosecutor general. Uh, I am prepared to do a public signing of the commitment for the billion dollars. Again, I'm not suggesting that that's what you want or don't want. I'm just suggesting that that's what we're prepared to do. But congratulations on installing the new prosecutor general. It's going to be critical uh, for him to work quickly to repair the damage that Shokin did. And- the damage that Shokin did, the damage that Shokin did in Biden's eyes is uh, having the nerve to, uh, to look into Burisma, where my son was hired on the board to the tune of $83,000 a month. $3 million over, over the life of that contract that, that we'd know about for a no-show job. And, uh, and he's there to protect Burisma. And by God, you cannot have a prosecutor going after Burisma and expect me to pay you off with a billion dollars. Installing the new prosecutor general is going to be critical uh, for him to work quickly to repair the damage Shokin did and I'm a man of my word, I, uh, and that now that the new prosecutor general's in place, we're ready to move forward in signing that new $1 billion loan guarantee, and I don't know how you want to go about that. I want to thank you that you give me your word that immediately when we change the legislation and I appoint uh, the new prosecutor general, and it would be Yuri Lutsenko, as we agreed on our previous meeting in Washington, and uh, when it happened, um, we can have it. That is what you call a smoking gun of corruption. They impeached Donald Trump for having a conversation with the new Ukrainian president. His name is Zelensky. That's uh, this president that Biden was talking to was Poroshenko. But that's a smoking gun. And whatever they accuse you of, the Democrats, that is what they're doing. It happens again and again. It's a, it's a tactic. If you get caught doing something like uh, uh, encouraging Russia to interfere with an election, well, then you accuse your opponent of that. If you get caught paying off Ukrainians to interfere in the election and, uh, and fire a prosecutor that uh, is looking into a company that your son is sitting on the board and collecting millions of dollars, well, then you accuse your opponent of trying to bribe Ukrainian officials. If the Democrats didn't have double standards, they wouldn't have any standards at all. (laughs) And the mountain of wrongdoing by the Obama administration leading right into the White House is getting bigger and bigger, and the media just uh, pretends that there's nothing to it. Now, they ran uh, three-year special editions, Pulitzer Prizes, night after night on the cable news shows advancing this Russia hoax. Now that they, with, with no evidence, no evidence now that they've got actual evidence in the form of audio tapes and, uh, transcriptions of meetings and records of political surveillance. Well, nothing to see here. Move on. Let's talk about the Wuhan virus, the, the COVID-19, they like to call it. 
media insists that the Obama gate is a hoax, but they still pretend that the Russia hoax was real. And while we're on hoaxes, the so-called hack of the DNC has now been disproven by the release of these documents where CrowdStrike's own president revealed that, no, we never had any actual evidence that it was Russian hackers that uh, hacked into the DNC. And that leads us back, of course, to the issue of Seth Rich. You know, Obama was asked about this uh, at, uh, at a press conference. He was asked about the, uh, the DNC. And uh, he, didn't, he didn't call it a hacking at the time. Listen to what he calls it. Part of the goal here was to make sure that we did not do the work of the leakers for them by raising. What? Of the leakers for them by raising. What? Of the leakers for them by raising more and more questions about the integrity of the election right before the election was taking place. The leakers. Now, there's a, a big difference between a hack and a leak. And um, and this was a leak. It was uh, from inside the Democrat National Committee. I wonder who it could have been. There was an attorney that filed a FOIA request with the Department of Justice on every mention of Seth Rich's name. And uh, One American News uh, covered it. I think it. we could all agree that Seth Rich has been a name that we haven't heard uh, in yes. a while. Why is that? Um, there has been an ongoing litigation slash smear campaign against anybody who asks inconvenient questions about Seth Rich. I've experienced this myself. I've written articles and tried to get them published in, uh, on various news websites that I publish on. And they will not utter the name of Seth Rich for fear that uh, these deep-pocketed Democrat operatives will sue them and they'll have to go to court and be drugged through the mud and bankrupted. Nobody will talk about Seth Rich. And it's been, it's been over three years now. And uh, still, to this date, despite the fact that there's $200,000 in reward out there, nobody has dropped a dime on the actual killers. He was shot in the back. None of his valuables were taken. And yet, we're supposed to believe that it was just a botched mugging. Nothing to it. Back to this clip. Listen what happens when he tries to dig into the FBI and get the records related to Michael Flynn. To the records related to Seth Rich. Fox News got sued. Fox News has gone completely silent on Seth Rich. And I think the message has gotten out to most other media outlets. Don't talk about this or else. And I think that was their strategy all along is to shut everybody up. And here's where it gets really interesting. So when I notified the attorney representing the FBI, that we had these emails. Um, the FBI came back and said, you know, the, the, well, the reason they weren't produced was because there was nothing of investigative significance. Of course, I pointed out I didn't ask for emails of investigative significance. I asked for all emails about Seth Rich. Um, so we went back and forth with that. 
And then I happened to look at the, there's a little, every time there's a FOIA redaction, they put codes next to the redaction. So I went back and looked up the codes, and one of the most common codes in there was to redact things that might reveal matters of investigative or prosecutorial significance. So mind you, they told me along, there's been no investigation, but yet you're citing exemptions on the grounds that there's an investigation or potential prosecution. So which is it? What led you to believe that they knew all along that they didn't conduct a reasonable search? Well, just the fact that they admitted to me that there were inquiries in the Washington field office, questions were asked, and then I'm getting tips from people on the inside that absolutely there are records there. Um, So I think they've known all along and they just try to cover it up. So how far up do we believe this line of corruption actually goes? If you look at the whole Russia collusion, Ukraine, mm-hmm. whatever, um, I mean, that goes straight to Obama. Yeah. Um, Hillary is, is deeply involved. Obama himself is involved. James Comey, Clapper, Brennan, all of them are involved. Well, hopefully we get some answers on the American... Yeah, hopefully we get some answers. This is going to be one of these things that's locked away for 50 years before we find out who actually murdered Seth Rich, assassinated Seth Rich, I should say. It'll be like the uh, the Kennedy assassination when 53 years later, all of those documents still have not been released. Leakers, Obama admits. Hey, I need to remind you real quick. Well, you know what? Stick with me. I'm going to be right back after this brief commercial message. Mojo. Are you from California, Illinois, New York, Georgia, or any of the other 39 states that charge state income tax? Does your state claim you owe them any amount of back taxes? Or have you not filed in years? Is your heart pounding because you know they're wrong or you just don't have the money? Don't fight the state income tax board alone. The tax doctor is here to help you. The state is much more aggressive than the IRS in collecting taxes. They have the power to take your home, your car, your driver's and business licenses, even garnish your wages, freeze your bank accounts, and go after your spouse. Solve all your income tax problems permanently and keep more of your hard-earned money. Make this 100% guaranteed risk-free call right now. 800-631-9241. 800-631-9241. That's 800-631-9241. Well, on yesterday's show, we were covering the media freakout when Donald Trump um, said during a press conference that uh, he has been taking hydroxychloroquine and the z packs for a couple of weeks. And uh, the, the mainstream media, including Neil Cavuto over there at Fox News, is absolutely de- de- determined to discredit hydroxychloroquine. Hydroxychloroquine has gone through as many studies as the the remdesivir, remdesivir, and had just as much success, but uh, but they're determined to discredit it. And at this point, I'm I'm thinking that it's not just because Donald Trump uh, advocated for it. I think it's because there's just not much money to be made off the hydroxychloroquine. It's off patent. It's uh, widely available. It costs about a dollar a pill. And the remdesivir 
is uh, is going to require hospitalization and probably cost well uh, could, could cost as much as a thousand dollars a pill so I noticed last night that there's a new survey from a company called Jackson and Coker that shows that an overwhelming majority of doctors would in fact prescribe hydroxychloroquine or any other anti-malaria drug to a family member suffering from the Wuhan coronavirus. So, you know, we're supposed to listen to, to, um, Chris Como over at CNN and we're supposed to listen to Nancy Pelosi. We're supposed to listen to all of these uh, talking heads, including Neil Cavuto saying that hydroxychloroquine is unsafe when in fact, a majority, an overwhelming majority of doctors who know the properties and the mechanisms of hydroxychloroquine and the azithromycin would in fact prescribe it to their own families and many of them are taking it themselves. I had uh, Tyler uh, out in Washington send me a text message yesterday trying to, or not the text message, a tweet yesterday trying to explain the mechanism of uh, the hydroxy and the, the zinc. And I asked him to call in and, uh, and explain it further. And here is his uh, explanation. The, the audio is kind of rough on this, but it's good information. Hi, this is Nelly up here in Washington State. I sent you a tweet earlier today that you wanted me to call the vet line and explain it a little bit more. The tweet said... The hydrochloroquine VA test and others are upset about was conducted minus the ZPAC accompanying the hydrochloroquine. The hydrochloroquine is a zinc ionophore that opens a virus-infected cell for zinc to treat the COVID-19 virus replication mechanism to a dead stop. Natural version uses quercetin and zinc. Now, what I mean by all that is the VA study that was done, I want to say it was the beginning of April, maybe a couple weeks in April, I can't remember for sure. Uh, it was done. It did not accompany zinc with it. They, all of the sick veterans and those that they were treating in the Veterans Administration, they didn't use zinc with any of it. Hydrochloroquine is effective, but it's more effective with zinc. There's four stages to a virus infecting itself, and that is the infection uh, itself with the spike protein on the outside, you know, the little spiky things on the outside, uh, it, it mates to the outside of the cell looking for what's called the ACE2 receptor. Once it finds one, it opens it up, and it seals, and it drops the payload of the virus inside the cell. The payload is a single strand of RNA all coiled up because this is a chimeric virus. It's not, this virus is not, uh, seen in the wild anywhere. You can't go out on any animal on the planet and say, hey, there's SARS-CoV-2. It has a payload in it uh, that is not anywhere else because it has the HIV protein inside. So part of it, when it infects the human body, it causes the human body to overload itself with a reaction trying to exterminate it from the body. So anyway, after it gets into the cell, the single strand of RNA takes over the ribosome, which is what the cell uses to replicate different parts of the cell as it repairs itself. It takes over that. It cranks out all kinds of copies of itself. 
those copies are repackaged and they leave the cell in order to infect others. That is what, if you hear on news, is called a cytokine storm. A cytokine storm is your body's overreaction to try to get rid of some infection. And a lot of times, my understanding too is because this particular uh, disease, this virus, attacks the lungs, it, it loads the lungs up with fluid. And this fluid is, is very puffy, is what I understand as well. So the hydrochloroquine does, it really affects all four stages of the infection. It slows down the ability for a cell to allow the virus to, to attach to it. Well, uh, he got cut out there, but, uh, and, uh, and Tyler, next time you call, uh, how about getting uh, off of the speakerphone? But uh, that's great information. You just heard three minutes of more information right there from a, a listener to this show than you have heard in all the hours and hours of media meltdown over Donald Trump taking hydroxychloroquine, which is a perfectly safe and proven drug that he has no contraindications for. And I know uh, from experience that zinc is very effective at suppressing uh, viruses. If you start taking a, um, a zinc supplements and zinc lozenges at the first sign of a cold or, or flu, it will, uh, it will suppress the replication of that virus or bacteria to the point where your own immune system stands a fighting chance. And what Tyler's saying there is that the hydroxychloroquine makes the cells more receptive to the zinc so that they can get at the virus inside the cell prevent its reproduction and it's um i think he called it a cytoplasmic storm but the the question here the the truth the reality that's usually scoffed at is that big pharma is uh, is trying to suppress hydroxychloroquine because there are literally hundreds of billions of dollars to be made off of this wuhan virus oh chris como Fredo over at CNN is mocking Donald Trump for taking hydroxychloroquine when in fact his own wife documented that he had been taking it when he had the Wuhan virus. She's a, uh, a, a health blogger. He had been taking a, a, a version of hydroxychloroquine, a, a, a natural version made of the bark of some exotic tree that has all the same side effects as hydroxychloroquine. It's just the natural version. Nancy Pelosi calling Trump morbidly obese. Shouldn't be taking that. He's morbidly obese. She has yet to comment on uh, her little buddy over there at the House Judiciary Committee, Jerry Nadlis, or or um, Biden vice presidential, uh, uh, what do you call it, a uh, candidate, possible candidate Stacey Abrams you want to talk about morbidly obese that is an example of morbidly obese so there's this uh, this controversy now that's broken out about Donald Trump uh, announcing that he was going to initially defund the World Health Organization and then a few days ago he announced that uh, he was ready to restart funding of the World Health Organization but that he was only going to give as much as China does. That is absolutely the way to do it because then it puts these China defenders on the spot. Why 
should the United States be carrying the load while, or why should the United States be paying the, um, fiddler while China calls the tune. And, uh, of course, you know, they're all against that. George Stephanopoulos uh, thinks that this whole idea that China is somehow complicit in the uh, worldwide pandemic of the coronavirus is uh, is a conspiracy theory. And uh, Peter Navarro, the president's trade advisor, uh, knocked that down and put little Steph in his place pretty quick down the American economy. So you're saying they deliberately unleashed the COVID virus on the United States. Do you have any evidence for that? I didn't. Do you have any evidence of that? It's pretty clear when you don't allow travel from a, a Chinese province to other areas of China, but you continue to allow international travel to the United States and Italy and other, other countries that were hit so hard. That is what you call prima facie evidence. That's a, a legal term that says on the face of it, they knew what they were doing. They made a, a decision to let that happen. While at the same time, they were telling the rest of the world that it doesn't transmit human to human. Yes, it was on purpose. This is warfare by different means. And I think the reason China made the decision to do this, I, I can't say for certain that they unleashed this virus on purpose. But certainly after it was unleashed, they weaponized it and made sure to do as much damage to the other Western nations as possible, including the United States. And I think it's because they want to prevent Donald Trump's reelection. Let's get back to this clip real quick. States, do you have any evidence for that? I did not say they deliberately did it, but their China virus, let's go over the facts here. Correct me if I'm wrong. The virus was spawned in Wuhan province. Patient zero was in November. The Chinese, behind the shield of the World Health Organization, for two months hid the virus from the world and then sent hundreds of thousands of Chinese on aircraft to Milan, New York, and around the world to seed that. They could have kept it in Wuhan. Instead, it became a pandemic. So that's why I say the Chinese did that to Americans. And they- You know, the, the media doesn't want to deal with the fact of what would we do if we, in fact, admitted that China uh, purposely weaponized this and caused these many thousands of deaths in the United States and Europe by weaponizing this virus. Those markets would be closed to their global masters. They would have to kowtow like Joe Biden and Mark Cuban. Hey, I want to encourage you to call into the vent line and leave your message. I'd love to hear from listeners. You can call 772-245-0750 and leave your message. I'd love to hear from you. And that takes us to the end of Right Now with Jim Dawes. I want to thank you for joining us and invite you back here again tomorrow right here on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. We'll talk to you then. I've been working at Santa's workshop for a long time and thought I'd seen it all. That was until I learned that when you add Xfinity Mobile to Xfinity Internet, you can save hundreds on your wireless bill. When you add Xfinity Mobile to Xfinity Internet, you can get a powerful Internet experience and nationwide coverage on the most reliable network. Choose the data option that's right for you. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today. 
Restrictions apply. Xfinity Mobile requires Xfinity Internet. Based on root metrics by IHS Markets Root Score reports 2H 2020 of four mobile networks. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details.